Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. A few years ago, about 10 years ago, I went with my family to um, Balaclava and went down into their mines, uh, which is, was a really fun activity. And uh, we went all the way down, down deep in the mine and eventually got to a point where the tour guide said to us, all right, now's the time to turn off all of your lights so we can experience complete darkness. And so we did that. We turned off all the lights. I, was, I had a, a, a video camera and I was like, oh, cool, I could see what night vision is like. But of course, that was still giving a flight and they saying like, Nick, stupid idiot, turn it off, come on. And eventually I turned it off. And it was the first time I've ever experienced complete darkness. Like, I wish I could show a picture of you, but I couldn't because you really need to experience it to actually realize what complete darkness is actually like. Like you literally can't see your hand directly in front of your face. You, you have no idea what's around you. Now I wonder what it would have been like for, uh, in 2010, the 33 miners who were trapped in the Chilean mine, uh, maybe some of you are old enough to remember this, in, um, uh, they were stuck in a mine after a cave-in for 69 days. We've got a photo um, of when they came out. But there's a book that was written about the, this experience called uh, Deep Down Dark, uh, or The 33, and there was a movie made. And um, the writer uh, kind of interviews all the different people, the 33 miners, and uh, writes this book and, and made this movie. But one of them, Edison, uh, described his experience like this. How could God be doing this to us? Edison thinks. Why me? Why us? What did I do? There is judgment too in the simple absence of light. The darkness around us was really killing us, he later said. Edison, uh, the electrician, was helping another bring a battery and some light to the refuge and the space next to it. But there's a moment when the battery fails and suddenly everything around Edison disappears in complete darkness. And he says this, that's when you really feel you're in hell. That's where hell is, in the darkness. In that space with no light, no hope, Nothing. He describes it as hell. Another, um, another guy, Mario, uh, the group's leader and the second man to be rescued, uh, he remembered um, his experience of being drawn out. Of they, they got a capsule that they sent down and the guys got in and, and pulled that out. And he remembered being hauled out, off, out of the darkness, not knowing if this was going to work. And he said, on the way out, it was terrible, terrible. And I screamed and screamed and screamed, just wanting to see the light. Just wanting to see the light. There was captive in darkness and they needed the light to break through and to set them free. And with everything going on around the world, particularly in, uh, in Eastern Europe, but gosh, even just on the back end of the pandemic and the, 
the, the mental health epidemic that's going around and the relational and racial upheaval that we've experienced again and again. We live in a dark world. And a question we need to ask and grapple with is where is the hope? Where's the light? And it's in that context, that moment, into there, Jesus says tonight, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're continuing in our series of I Am's through John's Gospel. And um, the passage that Ryan just read for us uh, is smack bang in the middle of uh, a discourse that Jesus is having with some some Jewish people uh, during uh, the Temple of Booths or Temple of Tabernacles. And I'll explain that in a minute. And uh, where I want to take us today is to explore what Jesus means by that. I'm the light of the world and how light reveals truth and how light sets us free. Now, like I said, um, our passage read is in the middle of this discourse. And this discourse is happening during this festival called the uh, Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles. And this is a, uh, a feast, a celebration that was established by uh, the Israelite people after they came out of Egypt. They spent 400 years enslaved by the Egyptians. And then God came and, and came down and saved them and rescued them. And he guided them out of Egypt by day as a cloud and then by night as a pillar of fire, as, as light. And he guided them and saved them from slavery out of Egypt and then dwelt with them. And he got all the Israelites to dwell in tents, and he dwelt in a tent among them, in the tabernacle. And later on, when they got into the promised land, in a temple. And so uh, Israel uh, established this uh, uh, this celebration. It was a seven-day festival. You think, what's the longest party you've ever been to? This was seven days long. And uh, and it was at the turn of the harvest. It was at the... um, the equinox, you know, the, the, the day or the week where the days were just as long as night and just before the harvest turned. So coming out of summer into winter where uh, the harvest was just about to start reaping and, and, and harvesting. And it was to remind them of the time in the desert with God dwelling with them and God providing for them. And uh, you can read about this in Leviticus. I'll just read a small part. Leviticus 23, 41 to 43 says, You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It's a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. As native Israelites, you should dwell in booths or tents, tabernacles, that your generations, this is really important, may know that I made the people in Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I am the Lord your God. So that's what this celebration is all about. And on the last day of the feast, the last day of the feast, uh, Jesus has been attending this feast. He's been teaching this feast. He's been talking to people at this feast for seven days. And it's on the last day in John chapter 7, verse 37, on the last day, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now that's quite significant. 
Because when he says that, all the Israelites, as part of this ceremony, are bringing bowls of water to offer up to God on the altar to, 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 to say that God is the one who provides water. God is the one who provides life. And Jesus says, if you're thirsty, come to me. I am the source of living water. So there's significance there. That's a whole other sermon. We'll leave that for another day. But on the same day, the, the, um, when in, in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, that's actually referring again. So it's the same day. It, it, it draws back to that original scene from 7, verse 37. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Now, why is that significant? It's because on that last day, that last great day at night, they have the festival of lights where they, they, they have a whole heap of um, uh, great bowls of oil in the temple and they light them up. And then all the Israelites have uh, torches, um, dancing, singing. Now, not, these are not like battery-operated torches, but more like um, sticks with rags and a bit like the citronella torches I've got outside. I didn't get them for the sermon. I got them for the mozzies. But the, they've got all these torches and they're, they're all around the temple singing, worshipping, dancing, celebrating. And all these lights light up the temple. Can I have that slide? All these lights light up the temple. And the temple sits at the top of a hill of that's Jerusalem. So all around Jerusalem, all you, the only thing you can see at night is the temple, which is God's presence. Represents God's presence. Represent the light breaking into the darkness to set his people free. And it's in that moment, in that setting, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine that? Jesus standing on those steps in front of the temple being lit up and the Israelites thinking, there is our light of the world, the the God who brought us out of Egypt and, and led us into the promised land, who dwells with us, is the light breaking into the darkness. And Jesus saying, I am that light. I am that light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is the context of when Jesus says this. I'm the light of the world. He's, he's drawing attention to the temple. That's God's presence coming into the world, setting the Israelites free. You know, a thousand years or, or, or however long before this, when Israel was first fumbling around in Egypt, trying to you know, figure their lives out and, and break free from their slavery and the Egyptian oppression, God came in. God broke through and set them free. Light entered the darkness. And in, in the first century, uh, when the Israelites were fumbling around under Roman oppression, there was racism, there was morally corrupt leaders, there was a caste system religiously, there was poverty. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Light enters darkness. And here we are in the 21st century. All kinds of things going on all around us. What do we need? the light to enter the darkness. We need the light. So what does the light do? What is it about Jesus that, that, what does he do? What does he do as the light of the world? There's so many things. There's way too much to go into of this whole long dialogue. This whole um, dialogue is about 90 verses long. 
So instead of going verse by verse all the way through, I've just picked a couple of things, and I also want to focus on the story that Ryan read for us. I'll explain how that fits in. So the first thing the light do does is it reveals truth. You're in a dark place, you turn on a light, you can see around yourself. You see what's actually there. After Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he enters a dialogue uh, with the Pharisees saying, well, you know, who, whose authority do you say this? Is your testimony true? So they have this discussion about truth and authority. And Jesus says, well, I, I reveal truth because I come from the Father. It's not my authority I say these things because I'm sent by the Father, by God, by the creator of all things, the, the truth outside of the whole world. And then they keep on chatting for a bit, and eventually they come to a discussion that reveals that the real problem, what's really causing the darkness in the world, is not a problem out, outside of ourselves. It's not a problem out there. It's a problem in here. It's a problem in our hearts. And the, the light reveals truth by uncovering our own darkness. So if you have your Bibles open, if you read with me verse 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him. I'll read NRV because that's there. To the Jews that had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, hang on a second. Do you realize what's wrong with what the Jews just said? We've never been enslaved. Do you remember what this seven-day celebration was all about? All about how God had set them free from slavery 400 years of slavery, that's a key defining moment in their Israelite history and identity that they were slaves who've been set free. And yet here they say, we've never been slaves of anyone. Do you, do you realize and remember that actually this is in first century Rome, where, uh, sorry, Israel, where they're under Roman oppression. And although they might not be slaves, they're certainly not free. It's ridiculous for them to say, we're not slaves. How can you say that we shall be free? Because it's wrong. It's mind-boggling how wrong and confused they seem to be. And Jesus kind of reveals even more how deceived they are. He says to them, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. So it's not just that the Israelites were deceived into thinking they were never slaves, even though they clearly were. This whole celebration was showing them that. But actually, if they sin, they're a slave to sin. They might think that they've got their lives under control, that they're by their identity, they're the people of God and uh, they've got that status and they've got it right and they get to decide what's right and wrong. But in reality, they're slaves to their sin, to their separation from the light. They're bound to be selfish. They're bound to seek their own needs. They're bound to break away from God's law, to not follow what God wants, but what their flesh wants. 
to not listen to the truth of God, but be deceived by the lives, lies of the devil. To not seek after God's kingdom, but after the things of this world. It's that sin, that breaking away from the light, is what causes the darkness. The big problem in the world, underneath all of it, is this state of sin that we are all in. The Israelites said, we've never been enslaved. And Jesus says, well, if you've sinned, you're enslaved. And if you're human, you've sinned. Because we're all in that boat. And when the light breaks through, it reveals our hearts for what they really are. As dark, as sinful, as breaking away from the God who made us and loved us. And this is demonstrated in the story in the middle of, uh, the, of, of our chapters. Between 7 and 8 is this little addition uh, from 7 verse 53 through to 8 verse 11. And if you re- read in your Bibles, you might notice that um, it says something like the earliest manuscripts do not include this passage. And what's happened is this is probably not original. This probably wasn't originally in John's gospel, the original author included. Or maybe it was somewhere else. But down the track, copyists, people who were copying the manuscripts, added this story. Now, why did they add this story in this place? I think it was to help us understand what Jesus is talking about. And so, if you think about all the different characters, there was the woman who was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus and brought by the Pharisees before Jesus. Now, you don't have to think too long to realize she was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus straight away. She's probably not wearing any clothes. Like, she's not in a good place. She's naked, exposed, ashamed. All her darkness, her her sin, her adulteries, has been exposed to everyone. And the Pharisees, they want to test Jesus. The light tries to overcome, so the darkness tries to overcome the light. The Pharisees want to test Jesus. And so they say, Jesus, what should we do with this woman caught in adultery, should we stone her as the law says or should we let her go? Wanting to test him, find a reason to to crucify him, to kill him. But Jesus waits. He writes something in the ground. Oh, to know what he wrote (laughs) one day. And then he says, let those who are without sin cast the first stone. Let anyone who is without sin be the one to throw the first stone. And one by one, the Pharisees, starting with the oldest, probably because they're wise enough to realize, yeah, I don't fit that category. I'm not right with God. They drop their stones and walk away. Their sin has been revealed. They thought they were in the light. But then the real light comes along and reveals actually they're in the dark. They're in the dark. They're enslaved by sin. The world has been deceived. You know, we're, we're led to think that we can get out of the darkness ourselves, that we've, we've, we've got it right. If we follow our hearts, then we'll be right. But the problem with that is that it's, it's our hearts that got us into this mess in the first place because our hearts are broken, are corrupt. We need the light, and the light will reveal what is really in our hearts. And then when we're exposed, 
when we're open and all is out before Jesus, as the light comes through, there's not condemnation. There's mercy. Because when all the Pharisees leave, it's just Jesus and this woman. And who in this scenario is without sin and is, is, has the authority to cast the first stone is clearly Jesus. Is that what he does? No, he says to this woman, he says, woman. Now, that's not like this angry woman, you know. It's actually a, a term of endearment. Woman, sister. Where are they? Where have they gone? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Her sin is exposed, but Jesus forgives so that she can live in the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will live, uh, sorry, will, will have the light of life. Later on in 8.34, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. That woman's forgiven. She's restored. Jesus didn't come and condemn her. He set her free. That's what the light does. It breaks in. It reveals truth. It uncovers our own darkness. And it sets us free. It sets us free. And so what are we going, how are we going to respond to the light? Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world. How are we going to respond? And uh, as, as I was reading and studying this, I, I flicked over to 1 John, which is one of the letters that the Apostle John, who wrote the gospel that we're reading, he also wrote this letter. And he, it's clearly the same author. Because I'll read it to you, and you'll, you'll hear the same language, the same ideas. John, 1 John 1 verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him, presumably Jesus, and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, our darkness is exposed. And we bring that before Jesus. We confess it and bring it to him. But he forgives us. The... the the blood of Jesus, his son, God's son, cleanses us from our sin. Our darkness is defeated by Jesus' work on the cross, his blood spilt for our forgiveness, for our cleansing, for our restoration. And so, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say by our own right, we walk in the light, I'm a light walker. We're a liar. We're deceiving ourselves. We've bought into a lie. But Jesus says, if we confess our sins, sorry, John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I think there's three responses to the light. The first it's being afraid of the light. Being afraid of the light. We're being afraid of what it might reveal, what it might uncover. 
because we don't want anyone to know. We don't, need, we don't want God to know different things, different parts of our lives. I was um, cleaning out my car this afternoon. And as I was doing that, I was thinking, there's such a clear tie to the sermon tonight. Because I've been putting off cl- cleaning out my car for a long time. If I've ever given anyone lifts, you probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, I've, been putting, I've been putting off because I'm afraid of what I might find. Right? What's, what's in that mess? And I wonder how, how many of us, like me today, need to actually go in there and take it all out, bring it all out, and have it dealt with. Now, we can't do that ourselves with our own self, with our hearts, with, our, with what's going in our lives. We need Jesus to do that for us. Yet we're, we're afraid of what he might think. We're afraid of what others might think. But there's power in confession of bringing it out into the light. Because we do that. There's forgiveness. There's restoration. There's freedom. But if we hide it and continue to hide it, it will eventually be exposed on the last day. And on that day, there'll be judgment. Jesus wants to set us free. The light breaks through, reveals our hearts, and then sets us free. The other thing, the other response is um, those of us who might think we're in the light. We're already in the light when actually we're in the dark, just like the Pharisees. We're in the light. Look at us in the light, walking strong, and all those other silly dark dwellers, people who keep messing up, not like us light livers, we think we're in the light. But like uh, the letter that John wrote says, we're deceiving ourselves. You know, it's the, it's the end of the next story. In John chapter 9, there's this, this story where John, uh, Jesus heals a man born blind. And the Pharisees kind of question the, the, the blind guy saying, who healed you? And then got in this really big theological argument with him and, you know, denying the fact that he was healed, even though like it's literally in front of them. And eventually at the end of this, Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see, and your guilt remains. They think they were better than others because they apparently walk in the light. But in reality, they walk in the dark. Part of the reality of, of responding to light is allowing it to uncover our darkness, actually realizing that it's not us that walks in the light, but it's the light that sets us free. It's Jesus that cleanses us. Jesus is the one who sets us free. And the last response is realizing that we need the light. We need the light. We're overwhelmed with the darkness. We're, we're trying to keep it all together. And, or maybe not, we're not overwhelmed with our darkness, but realizing that actually this whole world is a mess. And we, we might be happy, but actually this world is, is a big problem. There's a desperate need for, for God, for Jesus, for the light to break through. And today Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. And our response is to follow him, to walk in the light, to uncover that darkness, to uncover the the secret sins we've been holding on to, to uncover this life of living apart from God, to have that all revealed and to bring that before God and say, this is it. I'm sorry. Forgive me. 
and God will. Jesus promises he will forgive. The light will uncover the darkness and set you free. Will set you free. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to keep ignoring the light and living in the dark? Are we going to keep hiding from the light because we're afraid of what it might expose and what it might show? Are we going to take our lives and all that's going on, things we've done, things we think, things we say, the things we struggle with, things we're worried about, bring it into the light for God to shine on it and to set us free? doesn't mean this life's going to be easy now, but it means we enter that journey of following Jesus following him. It's not a decision, but a journey. So what are we going to do? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're going to sing another couple of songs. There'll be people in the back uh, ready to pray. If you need to bring something, I'll come back there as well. We'll stay around the back. If you need to bring something to, to pray about, maybe you have been hiding something from God. You don't need to confess to the whole church or to everyone, but to confess to someone, to allow them to speak God's truth and God's forgiveness to you. There's time there. There might be other anxieties or, or pressures or, or struggles that we're dealing with that we just we want the light to break through and, and to save us. I'm going to pray for that. Or you might just want to come and thank God for setting you free. Just like the Israelites celebrated uh, with the festival of lights, celebrating being set free, that God, the work that God did, we can all pray and celebrate and thank God for setting us free. That we no longer live in the darkness, but we are followers of the light of the world. And we have the light of life. There'll be an opportunity on the back, but for now, let's pray before we worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for all the truth he spoke while he was on earth. And we thank you for John who captured some of that. Lord, we thank you so much that though all we were living in the darkness and we couldn't by ourselves figure out how to live with you in the light, but the light broke through into the darkness to set us free, to save us. God, I pray for all of us, myself included, who might be afraid of what the light might expose, who are still holding things back, holding things from, from handing over to you. And we just pray that you would prompt us, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us the courage to, to uh, bring those things into the light so that, uh, so that you can forgive us that we might be set free and transformed to live the life that you've made us for. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work on the cross, that though you were perfect, though you were a light, you entered the darkness and you took on all of our darkness and mess and sin and rebellion on yourself and you paid for it once and for all on the cross, that your blood that was shed cleanses us from all of that. God, we thank you so much for your work, 
for your forgiveness, for the life that you give us. We pray that we would walk in that light, we would walk in that life and do that to glorify you, to shine your light to others, to share that hope with the world, with the dark world that's struggling with so many different things. God, we pray that you as a light would break into the darkness and to save our world. God, you, and you've said you will do that through your people, through us. So we ask for your help uh, in all of that. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all these things and all the work that you're doing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.